of warning signs, all right? So here's the first one, on a snowblower, all right? On a snowblower. The snowblower is going to come up on the screen uh, right there. On a snowblower, there's an actual warning on a snowblower. Since most of us will snowblow today, it says, do not use the snow thrower on roof. Good, uh, good tip. Good, good word right there. Amen. Good, good tip. Hey, the next picture you're going to see has a, a warning on it, a baby stroller. This is so true. I'm telling you, here's the warning. Warning, remove child before folding. I mean, can you imagine you're getting in the car and you go, honey, where's, where's the baby? Well, I don't know. I thought, and you get out and go to the back and pop the stroller up and there they are folded up in the, in the stroller. Perhaps my favorite one of the ones I kind of dug out for you this week. Do, do you know what this one is? The, the picture's coming up. Do you know what this one is? It is one of those flushable, dispensable toilet brush things that you clean your toilet with, all right? Honestly, the warning on it says, do not use for personal hygiene, you know? I mean, there are just some things that seem so obvious that you go, come on. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, the pastor gives a warning to the congregation that honestly, he goes, people, this is so obvious. Come on. And here's the warning. Don't forget to worship. Don't forget to worship. To us, it, it seems so obvious, but as you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30, 19 through 39, the preacher had just finished the heart of his message from chapter 4 to chapter 10 and verse 18. Man, he has just talked about the superiority of Christ, that he's superior to everything. Even the high priestly order of Melchizedek, Jesus is the high priest of the new covenant. And he not only presented the ultimate sacrifice for sins to God, but he in fact was the ultimate sacrifice to God for your sins and for my sins. And Jesus, that high priest and that sacrificial lamb was all rolled up into one. And on the third day, just so that none of us would ever forget to show his superiority over the old covenant, over the law, over sin, over death, over, gra over the grave, he rose again on the third day, just as he said he would do. So this is the fourth warning. And again, the warnings were you hear, but you don't listen. You hear, but you don't trust. You hear, but you don't grow. And now the warning is, you hear, but you don't worship. What ought to be so natural to us as believing Christians, he's saying you don't do. What ought to be so ingrained in us, he said, warning, warning, you don't worship. Look at verse 26 in that text. That's really kind of where I want to start, and then we'll kind of work our way back to verse 19. See, let me tell you what was going on. Verse 26 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. This is a severe warning. This is not one of those you blow off like, oh yeah, the snowblower on the roof. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or do not use for personal hygiene. I mean, man, this cuts right to the core of eternity. He says, if you deliberately keep on sinning after you receive the knowledge of the truth, 
It's just no sacrifices left for sin, but only, here's what's left if you do that. If you do verse 26, if you X out worship, you do that, then the only thing is left is the fearful expectation of judgment of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Man, that is severe. You see, what was going on is the believers weren't growing, not trusting, not listening. Their faith was so weak, their confidence in God was so shallow that it affected their worship. They quit showing up. They didn't think they needed to. The encouragement of one another, they just kind of became very lackadaisical. They kept retreating, just kind of secretly backing away from biblical truth and, and the superiority of Jesus Christ. They kept stepping away from all of that. And it had affected their worship to where they were doing all the right stuff. They were showing up to church, even on snowy days. They would sing the songs, even on snowy days. They would shake hands and they would listen to the preaching, even on snowy days. But they did not engage in worship. They heard it all, but they didn't engage in worship. You see, worship goes past the ears and you got to have the intellectual side of it. But man, somewhere worship has got to stir the soul. And ignite the passion within us. And so he says, the warning is, man, you hear, but you don't worship. Worship is responding to the presence of God in your life. I looked for the coolest quote I could find, and I don't like any of them. So I just kind of thought, okay, what is worship for me? For me, worship, because it doesn't just happen in this building. And if this is the only time worship happens, it's when you're in this building, you have missed the total concept and purpose of worship. Because God is always present and active in doing something in your life every day. God is always present and active in doing something in your life all the time. And worship is responding to the presence of God in your life. And what had happened was that this Hebrew congregation, by this Hebrew, or this Hebrew congregation had just kind of backed off and had quit responding to the working of God in their life. The response might be clapping or raising your hand or bending a knee in prayer. It might be prayer, quiet reflection on the glory of God or deep study in the word of God. But the deal with worship is that when Christ shows up and Christ does show up in our lives, in your circumstances, in your storms, in your joy, you acknowledge what he's doing in your soul, in your life, in that moment. Got it? Worship is just simply responding to the presence of God in your life, being aware of his interaction in your life. A.W. Tozer, who I love to read after, said this. He said, sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never another answer another prayer while I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live in the ages to come for what thou hast done already. God already put me so far in debt that if I were to live a million millenniums, I could not repay him for what he has done for me. That's worship. Acknowledging the reality of God, the existence of God, the presence of God in your life, and then responding to it and embracing it and saying, yes, yes, God, I accept what you're doing. I follow your leading. I give you glory and I give you praise. So here's the warning. Do you hear, but you don't worship? Do you hear, but you don't worship? 
Hebrews 6 says, if we sin willingly, there remains no more sacrifice for our sins. He's saying for a Christian, there's no possibility. Look at verse 26. It says it right there of renewed sacrifice, only judgment and punishment. Now, I want you to listen closely because a lot of people are messed up on these couple of verses. The word sin, harmateo, in the Greek means to miss the mark. It's the adverb, deliberately or willing, that gives us the best understanding of the particular type of sin that it is. The word willing or deliberately is hekousios in describing that sin. In the context of the preacher's message in the book of Hebrews, it suggests that it's not an inadvertent sin. That it's not a sin that overtakes us. Rather, it suggests that this type of sin is not a single act of sin at all, but an ongoing repudiation of Jesus Christ. Remember the messages over and over and over again. Christ is superior. Jesus Christ is superior. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And he hammers it over and over because his congregation was stepping away, not from doing right. They were stepping away from what was right, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, warning, hello. You've heard the message, but you don't worship. You don't participate in what God's doing in your life. And so it's his work, it's ministry, his purpose. Listen, you don't worship what you repudiate. At the core, they came to church, sang the songs, heard the sermon, shook their hands, but never engaged in worship. Their option, their only option was, is that if you repudiate Christ, his judgment and punishment is waiting for you. Now the logic goes like this, and he develops it in verse 28 and 29. He says, if... The Torah was punished, if you repudiated the Torah and that was punished by death, then the repudiation of Jesus Christ merits an even more severe judgment or penalty. So it now becomes clear that the object of the dire, does this dire warning is not sin in general, but the sin of willful apostasy. That is a total repudiation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, the preacher of the book of Hebrews is not into Arminianism or Calvinism. They didn't make the scene until 1,500 years down the pike. He's interested in his people, his congregation. He's saying, hey, listen, listen. I want you to hear me because you've got to worship. Because if you don't worship, man, I'm telling you, his point is that Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for the sins of the world and your sins is the only basis of forgiveness, period. There is no other way to get to heaven. I'm telling you, you can listen to all the people who want to be PC out in the world, but there is still only one way to get to heaven, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And if anyone repudiates that, then it means you've abandoned all hope of reconciliation with God. And so the preacher was saying, don't step back, draw near. Don't back away, move up. Don't give out. Man, grab on to what God wants to do in your life. Got it? Warning, warning. You hear, but you don't worship. Somehow it just kind of rattles around in your head and never sticks in your heart. Or sometimes it just goes to your heart and never makes sense in your head. And, and you never respond with your will and, and worship in either way. And that's not right.
Verse 29 says you trample, he says you do three things when you repudiate Christ. You trample on the Son of God, you consider him profane, and you insult the Spirit of grace. By the way, the word insult means make a spectacle. It comes really from, from the time in Roman history where they would take the Christians and they would throw them in the Colosseum as sport or bloodletting. It's when they took Christians, when Nero took Christians and dipped them in wax and made them street lamps that would light the, the circus, the streets of, of Rome. He says, don't back up. Don't shrink back. Don't quietly retreat. He says, the basis of our faith is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other hope. You can back away from a lot of stuff, but you cannot back away from Jesus Christ. So to help us in our worship, he gives us kind of some encouragements. By the way, A.W. Tozer went on to say this. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. And we would all say amen to that. It's worship. It's worship. So to help us in our worship, to honor and acknowledge Christ, he gives us three instructions. He really does. And here's what he tells us to do. He says, draw near to God. He says, don't shrink back. Don't quietly or secretly or timidly retreat. He says, draw near to God. And, uh, and this drawing near, it means to approach him with a sincere heart. That suggests committed loyalty, not half-hearted commitment. And it says also with fullness of faith. It's a descriptive phrase that I can have boldness and openness and even outspokenness in the presence of God. And when he used that word, the congregation had to go, what? Because they lived in the world of kings and emperors. And you did not approach a king, you did not approach an emperor unless you were summoned. And even if you were summoned, you did not speak until you were spoken to. And so to now say that we can come, we can approach God with full assurance of faith. Oh, my word. This was like, you mean I can be outspoken? I can come into his presence anytime I want to? Yes. Can I tell God anything that's on my heart, even if God doesn't speak to me first? Yes. Does God want me to come into his presence anytime there's a need in my life? Yes. Does God want me to come into his presence? And it, no, he doesn't want you to come. He wants you to dwell in his presence. Sometimes we use the wrong terminology because, you know, we can't adequately describe this thing of faith. Sometimes we think, well, I step into God's presence and I step out of God's presence and I'm in and I'm out. No, you're in. Learn to dwell in the presence of God in full assurance of faith. Isn't that awesome? He says, tell me what's on your heart no matter what you've done. You don't have to be ashamed to come to him. Then he says, having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. That's a great little phrase. Takes us back really to verses 19, 20, and 21. Just kind of look there in your Bible. He says, having your hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed. What's that all about? Verse 19 says that the most holy, that we're able to enter that most holy place. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, when we take communion in just a few moments, I'm telling you, that's what you remember, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's what he did for you. Can you imagine? He was not only the high priest who offered himself, but he was the sacrifice, and yet he was still God and rose himself up from the dead three days later. That is an incredible thing of faith and beauty. 
He says a new and a living way is opened up for us through the curtain, which is his body. See, the, the Jews would worship in a tabernacle or a temple, and inside the core element was the holies of holies. The holies of holies was split into two parts, and, and the, the outer part, which was two-thirds of this inner room, was the holies of holies. And then to the other side of that was the, the other third made up the most holy place. And in that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of the power of God rested, you know, kind of visibly, the Shekinah glory visibly rested with the people of Israel there in that Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest once a year would go in between the curtain and he'd have the bells on a, the bottom of his robe. So as he was pro- offering and praying prayers of atonement for the sins of the people. They'd hear it rattle, and, and if he died, they would pull him out. And he would go in once a year, and that was the only time you could go into the Shekinah Gore glory presence of God is that one time a year. And yet, and yet, the good news is that when Jesus Christ rose again, there's this little phrase in the Gospel of Luke, I believe it is, where it says the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom. That means there is a new way, a new and living way. By the way, that word new means a way that we never had access before. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for your sins, when he rose again, brought a brand new way to approach God in heaven. And it was no longer through the high priest. It was no longer through animal sacrifices. But the way to God in heaven was through the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. And now he says, man, you can come anytime you want. It's a new and eternal way. I mean, this is the deal. And God's not changing his plan. After this, this is what it is. And it's his body. So when we take the bread and we take the cup, man, I'm telling you, it's to remember the body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood for our sins. And then we're also exhorted to hang on, to hold on. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 tells us to hold on. There's two things to hold on to. We're to hold on unswervedly, unswervedly. By the way, the the word hold on is akina, which means do not bend, unwavering. And then we're to hold on tight. We're to hold on in such a way, man, that we are never, never going to let go. It's katateo, which means take a firm grasp with the idea that I'm never letting go. So you have latched on to Jesus. Jesus has latched on to you and you are never letting go. I think we all have katateo moments where you squeeze onto something so tightly. You know that if you let go, something bad is going to happen. Quite a number of years ago now, my wife and I were watching one of our boys play soccer at the old Hamtramck High School Stadium. There it is right there. My wife, being the mama that she is, her little antennas are going up and she's always counting one, two, three to make sure she knows where all the children are. I really didn't care where my children was. I was focused on the game. Yelling at my son, coaching from the bleachers. I mean, doing all those things. Dad does, you know? And my wife, one, two, Where's the third one? One, two, where's the third one? Where's the third one? Where's that boy? 
And she noticed that all of that boy's friends were at the top, I mean the very top. And if you'll notice, there's a fence around the very top, but at the time all of this happened, there was no fence. They were all looking over the thing. And so my wife says, you need to go check that out. I'm thinking, I am watching the game, woman. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing the dad, I'm in the dad zone, you know? She said, you need to go. And I'm, all right, so I go up and I'm just thinking, here was my thought, really. I would go have a little fun with my son's friends and then I would, you know, sit there and watch the rest of the game quietly, you know? And so I lean over the top of that thing just to see what those guys were looking at. And they were looking at my son hanging off of the top of that thing. The top of that thing. You talk about a cocktail moment. I reached over, man, I grabbed him on the wrist. He's looking up at me saying, I'm okay, daddy, I'm okay. And I'm thinking, you're about not to be okay, boy. I'm not a prophet, but I know what's in your future. I grabbed his belt buckle. I mean, I look like the incredible hawk, baby. I went, boom. Now, I didn't let go of that kid's hand. Now I had to figure out where to sit. My wife had just seen me sling the kid over the side of the thing. I'm hanging on to his hand. I'm not letting go. I'm scared to death. I realized everything that could have happened. I realized I got to explain to his mama how I let that happen, you know? Caught to tail. He says, listen, you hang on to Jesus with everything you got. And the cool thing is, is Jesus is hanging on to you with everything he's got. And when your strength begins to, to weaken, and when your strength begins to loosen, it's okay, man, he's still got you. That's what it means in the verse when you believe the promises of God, that he loves you so much, he is never, ever, never gonna let go of you. Let me give you one more, and it says to encourage one another. Encourage one another in love. To encourage one another. Some people think you can be a good Christian and you don't have to come to church. These verses tell you you can't. These verses tell us that living a Christian life's tough. And you all might as well, amen. If it's easy for you, I'm telling you, it's tough for me. Trying to think right, talk right, do right, model, imitate the life of Christ. Man, I'm telling you, it's tough for me. I'm sure it's tough for all of us. And he's saying, you're not going to make it if you don't have friends around encouraging you, praying for you, loving on you, in a life group where friends are sharing life with you. And man, you are just being real and authentic and transparent. And you open up and you share your hurts and your habits and your, and your, and your hang-ups. And man, you're just trying to get a grip and, and hang on to Jesus. He says, let us consider how to spur one another on. I love that word, spur on. It has kind of a wide range of meanings. It means to stimulate to a behavior, a, de a desirable behavior. It means to provoke. My favorite, it means to incite a riot. To incite a riot. I'm telling you, you put me in a room full of kids, I guarantee you I can do one thing. I can incite a riot. I'm good at that. Hey, listen, he says, when you come to church, man, incite a holy riot. When people who are broken because the week's been tough, 
inside a riot of love. I've seen it happen. Personally, in our own lives, just in the last couple of weeks after my wife's mom had passed away and we all kind of went down to Georgia for the funeral and the burial and all of that, you guys all know the story. Man, you guys just spurred her on. Loving on her, crying with her, praying for her, sending cards and emails and Facebooks and Twitters and Instagrams and all other grams. My wife, she'd just go home, she'd just cry. That's just meant so much to me. And I'm just thinking, that's inciting the riot. We don't do that well. We talk about football, we talk about basketball, we talk about our favorite teams. But somehow we put up this wall that says, okay, if it gets any deeper than that, the door's shut, the curtain's closed. And he's saying, uh uh. The preacher of Hebrews is saying, uh uh, our God is with us. Man, we are not. We are not of that kind. We're going to be the kind that spurs one another on. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to hold one another up. We're even going to call each other out. If there's issues in their life, that may not be according to Scripture. We're going to embrace when embracing is needed. We're going to hold on where that's needed. We're going to go forward when that's needed. But we're always going to live for Christ because that is needed. Spur one another on. So this morning, we're going to take communion. And as we do, I want you to do it with three aspects in mind. I want you to draw near to God and remember his death and his burial and his resurrection. I want you to hold on and hope. I want you to hold on to the promises of God. And and that's eschatological talk about his coming again. And then he says, now I say, I want to encourage you to love one another. So here's the deal. The offering plates are up there bread, the wine, the juice. We're going to have folks come up and serve and they're going to just pray for you if you want somebody to pray with you. If you don't have anybody else in this auditorium or in this world who pray for you, I guarantee you they'll pray with you. They'll pray over you. They'll pray for you. What I would love to see happen is a holy riot. I would love to see Christians serving Christians out of love. And you celebrate the Lord's Supper together. You go get a friend. You go get somebody who's been on their heart. Or maybe you invite somebody just to celebrate communion with you. And you may be in one of those spots where you just, you just kind of want to embrace that moment by itself. And that's fine. But I'm telling you. hold on. Let's spur one another on. Let's embrace what God is doing. So I invite you to stand to your feet. If there is sin that you need to confess, do not partake of the Lord's Supper until you deal with the sin issue. You may need to bypass the table completely and come to an altar and deal with sin of the heart. Haughtiness, pride, gossip, pornography, drug, addiction, whatever it might be. You might need to lay all that on the altar and just ask God to forgive you. Then turn and partake of the Lord's Supper. 
You might need a friend to come and pray with you because you're just so tore up over a lost loved one, maybe a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter that you desperately want to see come to Christ and you need someone to pray with you over that. I'm telling you, they'll be there to pray with you. And you have friends in here that will pray with you as well. Man, I'm telling you, let's incite a holy riot of brothers and sisters in Christ celebrating what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts. Our King Priest, that great I Am, God, our Christ who is greater than anything, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and today at this very moment, he not only lives in our hearts, but he sits at the right hand of God in heaven. And because we know him, we can talk to the Father at any time, at any place, no matter what the hurt and no matter what the pain. Yeah. So let's have a holy riot as we worship the Lord and celebrate communion. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Father, in the next few moments, people can pray at their seat, they can pray at the altar, they can come and stand and pray, but we invite not only families,